Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. On today's show, wild man Steve Brill will be my guest today to talk about how to forage in the wild. He's going to share some basic survival tips and things that you should know if you become stranded. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Steve Brill. Good afternoon, Steve, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Steve, can you share with our audience a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in foraging in the wild? Okay. Uh, Basically, I was hungry. I went into the kitchen. There was a carton of oatmeal. I followed the recipe very unhealthy but uh, I cooked something myself and the oatmeal cookies I made tasted really good Uh, then I graduated to the raisin box then I started going to the library getting cookbooks at the same time this was in the in the late 1970s I got interested in health and alternative nutrition I first cut my sugar in half slowly phased out all of the refined and processed ingredients. I became a vegan in 1990. And then I discovered that there uh, were wild foods that were better than anything you can buy. I was bicycling past uh, Cunningham Park in Queens in New York City. There were ethnic Greek women in one of the parks uh, picking stuff. So I suspended my exercise ride. I exercise almost every day and asked them what they were doing, but I couldn't understand a word. It was all Greek to me. Uh, but they were able to convey that they were collecting grape leaves, which I took home and stuffed, and they were delicious. And I started getting what books were available about foraging. And uh, slowly over a period of uh, years and uh, decades, I'm still certainly learning new stuff. I uh, discovered all of these incredibly delicious, very helpful wild plants and started putting them into my recipes. In 1982, I started leading field walks throughout the greater New York area and the Northeast, and I have been doing that for the public, for schools, garden clubs, nature centers, health food stores, museums, teaching farms, farmers markets, etc., ever since uh, spring, summer, and fall. And uh, in recent years, I've been joined by my daughter, Violet. She's 11. She knows all the plants. She's a good speaker, uh, very nice with the public and other kids, uh, only she steals all my jokes. I'm sure she's delightful. Steve, who were some of the authors that influenced you as far as your early reading when you were researching some of the wild plants? What were some of your favorite books? Do you remember? Well, Yule Gibbons was excellent. Uh, as far as inspiration, but his books, uh, he was a famous uh, foraging guru in the 60s. Uh, He did TV commercials, and uh, he didn't really write in the form of a field guide so you could actually find and identify the plants. I used the uh, Peterson field guide to edible wild plants, but that was 
absolutely full of mistakes and omissions. Common plants like garlic mustard were not in there. He said that you could use the uh, seeds of the common reed phragmites uh, as a grain, and um, that will kill you. You die of old age before it sets seed. It spreads by the roots. There might have been some related Phragmites that some tribe of Native Americans used that got into the literature and was repeated ad nauseum. And you'll still see that on websites, but you cannot really get food out of the seeds of the reeds. Lots of other mistakes also. So I wind up, wound up using uh, other sources like um, the Newcomb Wildflower Guide to identify the plants and uh, didn't have any information on edibility that made identification of flowering plants uh, easy. Uh, the Peterson Field Guide to Trees was user unfriendly, but I was able to identify the trees. And uh, once I knew what the plant was, and this is before the internet, whatever books I could find, I would uh, start using to learn the food uses. And that really continues to this day, of course, with the internet, there's a lot more information. Not all of it is accurate. And with foraging, you need to be 100% accurate with your identification. Uh, if you eat the wrong thing, uh, you can kill yourself. So uh, identification with 100% certainty, anything you eat, is the first thing you need to learn. And then you still try small amounts of any new plant the first time in case of uh, idiosyncratic adverse reactions. Follow plants through the seasons. They change very, very greatly in the way they look. And uh, eventually uh, you will know at least a small amount of easy to recognize plants with no poisonous lookalikes because those are the ones you start with mulberries, cattails, uh, those are those are great burdock root, quite delicious, and then slowly add to your repertoire. Due to the extreme amount of pesticides and other chemicals that saturate the environment, do you find that's that it's becoming more difficult to forage in the wild locally? Uh, not really. You stay away from heavy traffic and from agricultural fields. And you're pretty much all right. I mean, the earth certainly has a way of healing itself. Uh, you're not going to get rid of heavy metals, but those are heavy and they settle near where they've been emitted. Uh, but a lot of plant roots, uh, like the cattail, will have uh, commensal bacteria living among the roots that actually get rid of the organic contamination. They use that for food and uh, um, then the cattail is quite safe. It also has layers that you peel. The greatest accumulation of toxins will be in growing stems and shoots, and the least toxins wind up in fruits and nuts. Steve, when you're out in the wilderness, what are some plants that most people have viewed to be nothing more than a weed that are actually quite nutritious and beneficial? Well, as far as the weeds go, these are things people are destroying in their gardens. Uh, dandelions are absolutely wonderful. They're at their best in the cold weather seasons, early spring and late fall, and winter if it's mild like it has been this winter. Um, those are quite delicious. A little bit of bitterness. Uh, you can enjoy them raw in salads mixed with other vegetables. If
if you cook them, they shrink, the bitterness increases because uh, it's more concentrated. And then you simply add a sauce after you saute them, the bitterness is gone. Those are great. There's a plant called wood sorrel that is also very delicious. Uh, it uh, People confuse it with clover. Clovers have oval leaves. Uh, wood sorrel has three heart-shaped leaves, and that is very lemony. Uh, quite tasty. That's in uh, sunny and partially shaded areas in gardens and in uh, partially shaded areas in the wilderness. Um, that's in season, uh, comes in around the end of early spring and lasts through most of the fall, but uh, mid-spring through mid-fall is when it's at its best. Another one is purslane. Uh, that one is loaded with omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, also, a sweet and sour flavor, quite crunchy. Uh, Portulaca oleacrea is the scientific name. Uh, that likes sunny, sandy habitats, uh, sprawls along the ground with paddle-shaped, uh, fleshy, stalkless leaves and uh, reddish stem. Uh, incredible in salads. Anything you cook with it is going to come out great. Uh, there is curly dock in season in spring and fall, uh, large, uh, narrow leaf, curly edges, starts off close to the ground uh, with the leaves coming out from the root in a circle, and then it develops a stem later on. Uh, also has a sour lemony flavor. Just don't confuse curly dock with modoc or larry dock. Yuck, yuck, yuck. When parents are taking their kids out for nature walks, what are some neat things that parents should make a point to show their kids? Well, kids especially love berries, and there are a lot of berries that are quite easy to recognize. There are wine berries that you get in the summer, uh, very, very common. Uh, they're a type of raspberry with a red bristly stem. They look like raspberries. They will poke you if you touch the thorns. The leaves are compound. That means they're divided into, into segments, usually three segments. Um, and uh, the only danger with those is when you eat them, you can die of happiness. They taste so good. Uh, there are other relatives, brambles, uh, blackberries. Blackberries, unfortunately, are in decline. Too much competition from the iPhone. You hardly ever see someone walking around with a blackberry anymore. Uh, yeah, those are in season in the summer, too. Uh, for practical purposes, because they're thorny, you wear long pants and long sleeves when you collect. And uh, therefore, and since it's summer, it's hot, go very early in the morning when you won't be uh, um, roasting yourself with the long pants and long sleeves. And they are way tastier than the blackberries you buy in the store. At the end of spring and the beginning of summer, you get mulberries. They look a little like blackberries, but they grow on trees, and each berry has a little stem. You put a drop cloth under the tree and shake the branches, and you get tons of mulberries falling onto the drop cloth, which you can then gather up, uh, sort out any debris, and put into food containers. They are selling mulberries from other parts of the world uh, due to their antioxidant and other healthful benefits. The mulberries we get here are just as good, and the imported ones are expensive. It's not environmentally friendly flying foods around the world, and the ones you get here are 
free. Uh, why bother with Himalayan mulberries? They all have these health benefits to them. Uh, so I went, and the wood sorrel that I mentioned before, uh, the kids love that because of the heart-shaped leaves. There's an unrelated sour-flavored green called sheep sorrel that has a leaf that's arrow-shaped, looks like a sheep's face, uh, also sour. Kids love that, and sheep sorrel is delicious. It is not bad. Kids can uh, also look for June berries, they're in season in June. They grow on uh, on bushes with smooth gray bark. The leaves are elliptical, slightly serrated, and uh, the berries look a lot like blueberries. And if you mistake them for blueberries, which come out um, more in the summer than at the end of spring, you're not going to kill yourself. And those are very delicious too, also called service berries. And all these fruits are loaded with uh, antioxidants, vitamins, and minerals. The foods you buy in the store have been bred to be advantageous for the agriculture business. That means they're larger and they store better. And because they're larger, they contain more water. That's what makes them larger. So you can juice a, uh, a store-bought carrot and get tons of carrot juice out of it. You dig up a wild carrot and juice it, only a few drops of juice come out of it. That's because the wild carrot has more nutrients, more flavor, and more of the fiber that is now being shown to be really good for the microbiome. Uh, so um, a carrot is, is not one to start with because there is a poisonous plant that looks like it called poison hemlock. Um, if you smell them, you can already tell the difference. Poison hemlock smells musty. Uh, anything that smells like poison, that one would. And the wild carrot has a clear carrot smell, but people don't always pay attention. And uh, that's, when they, uh, that's when they get into trouble. What are some great resources for finding areas where you can forage foods in the wild? Well, really anywhere, any kind of uh, park. Uh, where they're not uh, running around with sprayers. Fortunately, because of the economic situation in the country, the parks people uh, can't really afford the sprays uh, or even to employ the people to uh, to spray them, uh, unless they're paranoid about being uh, sued if someone gets Lyme disease from a mosquito. Uh, the parks are usually are usually quite safe, especially the larger ones that are that are untended. So that's where I go to. You're on Long Island. I go to places like uh, Mutton Town Preserve, Sunken Meadow Park, um, uh, Heckscher State Park, Belmont Lake State Park. Those are all good. Robert Moses Park, Wildwood Park. Um, I do all the parks in the uh, in the city, uh, Central Park, Prospect Park, uh, Forest Park in Queens. Lots of great areas that are that are really large and a tremendous abundance of plants. The thing is, uh, the plants are everywhere. You just don't know them. And if you walk into any supermarket, you see a tomato, you recognize it. Here is a tomato. Uh, you walk down the street, on the side of the street, um, there is a burdock root growing as a weed or lamb's quarters, which is a superior relative of spinach. And people just don't recognize them. The plants are everywhere. The thing is, 
learning how to uh, recognize them, which is what I try to teach on my tours and in my writing. Thank you. Now, I understand that you're a vegan. How much of the food that you eat has been collected from you know, local foraging? It depends on, on what the food is. Uh, mushrooms, I'll get 100% of my mushrooms uh, in the wild. And they are delicious. They are not hard to learn. You have to learn them like anything else. You can't go into a car and get onto the highway uh, without, uh, without instruction. And um, uh, greens and uh, berries, probably about 50%. Nuts and seeds, maybe about 10%. So there's something wild in just about everything I make. And I'm in the kitchen a lot cooking stuff. And this, the, the use of wild foods, especially with what I consider healthy, unrefined ingredients, is not explored by the uh, restaurant chefs or celebrity chefs. Uh, they're too tied in with the uh, with the meat, fish, white flour, and sugar. So I'm uh, I'm coming up with a lot of very different recipes. I give a lot of samples out on my tours. If I know we're going to find bitter dock, uh, which I uh, basically disregarded for 25 years because it is absolutely awful raw. Um, I found that if you prepare them like kale chips, especially with a coating, miso oil and herbs, it is incredibly delicious. I'll tell people, uh, here's, uh, everyone try this. This is the worst thing you're going to eat today. And uh, they try it and they believe me, it is horrible. And then I give out uh, uh, bitter dock chips, a little similar to kale chips, and my, own, uh, my own choice of herbs. And suddenly uh, everyone absolutely loves it. And uh, this stuff has not been explored. Uh, seaweeds, too, if you're anywhere near the ocean, um, there are some very delicious seaweeds. They are at the bottom of the food chain. So eating seaweed your whole life is going to be safer than eating one fish that's eaten, smaller fish that's accumulated all the toxins, and that fish that's eaten uh, lots of smaller fish down to crustaceans and plankton. Um, and uh, you don't go after seaweed after it's rain because that's when the toxins get washed into the ocean. Um, I'm in uh, Westchester, New York, on the east coast of North America, so we get a lot of Atlantic seaweeds. Uh, when I was younger, eating seaweeds would have been considered weird, and because of all the Japanese restaurants that uh, most people are familiar with, seaweed is now acceptable. But the chefs uh, learned about the seaweeds from Japanese cuisine. And the Japanese, of course, use Pacific seaweeds because that's where Japan is located. They are incredibly delicious and tasty seaweeds that grow in the Atlantic Ocean that uh, are not served in the restaurants. They're not sold in health food stores. And except for Irish moss, which uh, of course is a traditional Irish seaweed, none of the other species are, uh, are known as far as culinary circles. There's one called rockweed, which is a brown ribbon-shaped seaweed that grows on rocks. It's exposed at low tide. So you look up the tides and go in the tide as low. It's in season all year. Um, it's, it's in dark olive brown, and it has uh, air bladders at the tips. 
which keep branching, the uh, seaweed branches. And that is where iodine was first identified in 1810. And in the 19th century, people used the seaweed for fertilizer before the artificial fertilizers were invented because it is so full of minerals. And herbalists used it for goiter. If the goiter was caused by iron deficiency and there are other causes of goiter, the person would be cured. But it turns out that this is a wonderful culinary uh, a seaweed. You put it in, in soups, you make miso soup with it. It is absolutely wonderful. Um, I've roasted that also. That one I roast with miso and melted baker's chocolate sweetened with stevia and with some uh, wild caffeine-free coffee that I also pick in there and coat it with uh, the chocolate and then roast it. Um, I'll mix that with raisins, uh, sugar-free carob chips, and roasted cashews, uh, just four ingredients, and you have an incredibly tasty trail mix. And if you're out in the woods and you didn't bring your lunch, you've got something that is very, very filling and very nutritious. Just the, the roasted chocolate, rockweed, cashews, raisins, and carrot chips. Um, I love that stuff. Steve, just talking to you, you're just such a wealth of information, and there's just so much that we could talk about. I would like to invite you to come back to talk about your vegan cookbook, which I think is absolutely fascinating. We're unfortunately out of time, but could you share with our listeners your website and also the names of your books? Yes. The website is wildmansteveBrill.com. If you look for Foraging in Central Park, you will find me. Um, the cookbook is the Wild Vegan Cookbook. Uh, another one is identifying and harvesting edible and medicinal plants in wild and not-so-wild places. Uh, I also have Foraging with Kids and Shoots and Greens of Early Spring. Please get those signed from my website so the book business doesn't keep all but a few pennies of your money. And I have an app uh, called Wild Edibles Forage. Three words has a picture of me with an explorer's hat on it, and uh, that has everything I know about the plants and hundreds of recipes as well. Folks, by all means, if you are looking to conduct a tour of your local area, feel free to reach out to Steve. He does conduct tours with adults and with children, and he's just such a wealth of information. Steve, it's been wonderful having you on the show, and I really look forward to having you come back as well as to talk about mushrooms at some point. You're, you're just such an interesting fellow. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure being on with you. Um, I hope you can make some of my tours when I'm in your area. I'd love to meet you. Definitely. And, folks, please check out the companion article, which will have Steve's information as well as the titles of the books. If you happen to be in the New York area, you might want to check out some of his tours. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon, folks.